This is Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Wednesday, November 1st, 2023. And today will be better than yesterday. Uh, I'm Buster Only. I'm working in Phoenix uh, just after Game 4 of the World Series. And Taylor Schwenk and Sarah Abbott are working back in Connecticut. Guys, we're actually, I'm taping this late. Uh, we're still on Tuesday here in, uh, in in Arizona, but you guys stayed up late to tape the podcast tonight. We've time-traveled, Buster. We're, we're speaking across the, the <laughs> time vortex continuum space spinning out between us, you know. It's, well... <laughs> Wish well, the game was a little I better. Think, I, I think, yeah. Well, I think why? Probably because uh, the way this game started out in game four, you guys could go out, have dinner, hang out, uh, enjoy the Halloween candy that you probably got. Yeah, you, you had your dog dressed up as Dolly Parton because mm-hmm. your dog's name is Dolly. Yep. yep. I guess. Yep. So That's you true. enjoyed Halloween. What about you, Sarah Abbott? It was great. I just handed out some Halloween candy, had a bonfire, watched the game. You know, no complaints. Nice. I think the uh, the Diamondbacks wish that they had a night like that after what <laughs> happened in the game. We got word in the afternoon that Adolis Garcia and Max Scherzer were taken off the roster because of those injuries they suffered in game three. Uh, John Blake, the media relations person for the Rangers, walked through the clubhouse and he said to a group of reporters waiting to speak with Bruce Bochy, yeah, uh, Garcia's out. Uh, Jankowski is uh, in the lineup. And he started and played in right field. The, the Rangers actually, I, I think, knew uh, late on Monday night that Garcia was probably going to be taken off the roster for the rest of the series. Uh, but they wanted to give him an opportunity to show that he could play, to at least try it. So he went in, he got some treatment. I'm assuming he got some sort of a pain-killing pain shot, went down to the batting cage, tried it, and immediately felt discomfort in that strained oblique. Uh, and he was taken off the roster along with Max. Uh, and early on, the Rangers did a ton of damage. Here was Josh Young scoring on a wild pitch. The 2-2 in the dirt, squirts away from Moreno. Here comes Young, and Moreno can't make a throw. Young slides across on the wild pitch. one nothing Texas. That, of course, was the legend, Boog Shambi. He's part of the clown car uh, conversation that we had after this game. You're going to be hearing him with Jessica Mendoza and Eduardo Perez. That rally continued, all with two outs. The pitch. Swing and a ball lined towards the left field corner. Fair ball. That's going to get into the corner. In to score, Leone Tavares. Jankowski on his heels. He's in to score. Simeon racing for third, and he's in. It's a two-run triple for Marcus Simeon into the left field corner, and the Rangers have opened up a 3-0 lead. So this was a bullpen game for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Tori Lovello came out, and he brought in left-hander Kyle Nelson to face a left-handed hitting Corey Seager. And I must say, every piece of information that we had going into the game was is that when given the opportunity, the Diamondbacks would pitch around Corey Seager. Uh, not really give him anything to hit. And this was an opportunity to pitch around him. Uh, you had second base open. You had first base open. They could have just intentionally walked him. Instead, Nelson pitched to Seager, and this is what happened. Here's a swing and a high fly ball crushed. Corey Seager unloads out to right center, and it's gone. Oh, boy. Seager absolutely annihilates one over to the left of the pool in right center. 
And the Rangers now have a 5-0 lead, and he hammered it. And in the third inning, they rallied again. Travis Jankowski at the plate, Nathaniel Lowe at second, Josh Young at third. Right-hander ready and fires. Swing and a line drive. That's a base hit out into center field. Sliding to knock it down is Thomas. One run is in. Here comes Lowe to score. Stopping at third is Jonah Heim. And into second is Jankowski. It is seven to nothing. Texas on top. So I asked Taylor to write up the uh, the lead to the show, given that it's so late. And here was his line about what happened next. It's officially a bloodbath, and here comes Marcus Simeon, who already has a triple to his name. Freya steals the 0-1, crushed in the air, left field, Guriel back. Back some more at the track, at the wall, gone! Home run, Marcus Simeon will touch them all. And the Rangers have opened it up. It's a three-run homer. And Texas now leads it 10 to nothing. 10 to nothing, top of the third inning, all 10 runs scored with two outs. Now, Arizona would get some runs. They would score seven runs in the eighth and ninth innings to make it uh, 11 to seven, but it was too late. Here's what it sounded like in the bottom of the ninth. Sets, fires. Swing and a ball popped up. Foul ground, first base side, low near the dugout. He's got it, and that's the ball game. And the Texas Rangers have taken a commanding three games to one lead in this World Series. They win it here 11-7. And after that last out, I got a chance to talk with Marcus Simeon. You're one win away from winning the World Series. How close does that feel in this moment? You just said it. I mean, you know, we put up 11 runs. We've been, we've been winning like that a lot. Um, that was a big night for us offensively. You know, Corey... Huge swings. Um, you know, everyone talked about what was going to happen without Adolis, and guys stepped up, so we needed that. I was going to ask you, how did you guys process that news this afternoon that he was not going to be available going forward? Yeah, I mean, it's tough. You know, we talked about it a little bit yesterday, but I was excited for guys like Jankowski to get in there. Huge swing by him. Um, he's a great defender as well, so he can do some some little, some different things. You know. Not a huge power guy, but he can help us win, too. Describe what you've seen from Corey in this postseason. He's hitting the ball so hard. Um, you know, great defender, great hitter. We already know that stuff. But when the playoffs and World Series are going on, it's just even better at Corey. So, you know, he, he's been huge for us. And we got to get some rest and come back fresh tomorrow. You guys have won 10 straight road games in the postseason. How does that happen? Just good baseball at the right time. You know, no matter where we were playing, we just want to play well. Um, and we were good during the regular season at home. We've been better in the playoffs on the road. It's, it's hard to explain, explain, but, you know, if we play good baseball anywhere we're at, we'll be all right. Ten straight wins on the road in the postseason. Ten and zero. That's absolutely insane. I talked to Travis Jankowski. Travis, 32 years old, gets started World Series game, and you're throwing out hits. On a personal level, how cool was that for you? That's uh, that's every kid's dream, right? I've been dreaming about this for 28 years. So to be go uh, to go out and produce and get some hits in a World Series is uh, it's meaningful. Without win, means a lot more than a couple hits. So how did you get word that you were going to start this game A and B? How do you think the guys processed the news that Garcia is going to be out the rest of the way? You know, Adola's coming out. That's uh, that's devastating, right? You know what he's been doing this playoff run and what he's done all year for us. 
there's no replacing the Dolish, you know. So uh, I kind of called wind that I might be in there tomorrow. Um, you know, I found that out last night, but it was one of those things where, like I said, you don't replace a Dolish. You just go out and my game couldn't be polar opposite from what a Dolish does. You know, I'm just trying to get on base and let you know the top of the lineup drive me in. So uh, I was fortunate enough to do that tonight, and hopefully we keep this thing rolling. What have you seen from Corey Seager in this postseason? He's the best player on the planet right now. You know, he uh, – he does something and you think, wow, that was probably the most amazing moment. And then he goes out and does something even better the next night. He's uh, he's on a different level. You guys are one win away from winning the World Series. As we talk, how close does that feel? Feels close, but uh, you know we're going to enjoy this tonight, but it's not over yet. You know We have to finish the job, and uh, we're going to get it. Here's Diamondbacks manager Tori Lovello after the game. This was a grinder. This was this was um, nothing that we saw coming. We've had guys that have been throwing the ball extremely well. We've been picking up the baseball on defense, you know, and it all it all came uh, un, unraveled on us there in in a matter of two innings, and it's ten runs. So I'm curious, Taylor. Did you Christian Walker, who's been such a good player generally speaking, he's got those Oriole roots. Uh, it makes that uh, base running mistake in game three, and then he's been such a good defender, makes an error in game four that fuels that rally in the third inning. That's a tough look for our guy, Christian Walker. He was so good in the last series, too. I mean, it's, yeah. and it stinks when you get to, to the, when you're in the World Series, the margins can be so thin. And like these two, you hate, you, it's not all on him, but like when you're looking at the individual plays, you're like, oof, that's a, that's tough. I know. It's like the flip side of Travis Jankowski. Like, you're really mm -hmm. happy for Travis Jankowski, and, and I'm also just, like, cringing for Christian Walker that he's had these two moments in back-to-back -back games. Because of what's happened the last two days, Bruce Bochy, one win away from winning a World Series. Well, the only thing I'm thinking tomorrow, we get to come out and play our best game. I don't mean to cliche that, but it's, it is. That's how you look at it. You don't look where you're at. Your focus has to be on tomorrow's game, going out there and, and, and doing all you can to win a ball game. And that's where we have to be uh, thinking. That's where our minds have to be. What does he mean? He doesn't uh, go mean to go all cliche. Of course he does. He's going on purpose, right? He's saying all that stuff on purpose. We got good stories coming up about Bruce Bochy from Sarah Langs. All right, Taylor, what else you got? Buster, this uh, Michigan spying thing has escalated. Uh, the, unbelievable! The guy, that have, is unbelievable. Have you seen him in the the guy in the glasses? Yes. The, oh my God! It's it's amazing. <laughs> I mean that that's I gotta say that's more blatant than the trash can thing with the Astros. Yeah, like it's it's ridiculous. He has the recording light on like you can, it's uh, the fact that no one caught on because if you saw that on the street, I would be like, hmm, that's really weird. I don't like that. It's like and, wedding crashers meets college football. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, they're going to get into it on the College Game Day podcast. Check it out. It's on YouTube. We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Buster. Just go to Indeed.com slash Buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The NFL schedule drops this week, and you can be there to catch all the action live and in person with Vivid Seats. Experience every touchdown, every tackle, and every eye-popping play of your favorite team. And to kick it off, Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN, is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code BASEBALL. That's code BASEBALL. Download the app or visit VividSeats.com today. That's VividSeats.com today, code BASEBALL. Vivid Seats, experience it live. This is the clown car edition. Yes! Of the Baseball Tonight podcast, and maybe that's really appropriate after... <laughs> Game four of the World Series. At one point, the Texas Rangers having a 10-0 lead. And I got to say, and I'm in the car. I've got Jessica Mendoza. I've got Eduardo Perez. And I've got Book Shambi in yes. the front. Woo-hoo! Eduardo, at one point, I looked at you. Uh, it, I think it was in the second or third inning. Yeah, it was the third inning when the Rangers extended the lead at 10-0. And you seriously had the look of a disappointed parent. Like, you were sincerely upset with the way the early part of this game played out. What was that about? I think it all started in the second inning when, you know, you saw Mandiply go back out there. And, you know, we really thought and we had had conversations about most likely Mandiply is going to pitch to the first four hitters and then turn it over to the rest of the bullpen and play mix and match. And when that didn't happen and we saw Josh Young hit that double – it sort of was like a little downer. It was a little downer because of the expectations of what and how you have to be perfect pretty much using a bullpen game in the postseason, let alone the World Series. A lot of skeptics about it, but it just seemed like Torrey had a really good hand because of the experience that he's had doing it. And it was, as a fan and as an analyst, disappointing to see. Yeah, and the reality is when you have a bullpen game, you are effectively uh, relying on your 8th, ninth, 10th, 11th, 12th best pitchers. And uh, sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. Just tonight it was a complete mess for the Diamondbacks. Yeah, I think that was the biggest disappointment is I came in and I was like, buckle up, let's go. Like, I get excited for bullpen games because it's strategy. The managers are the stars. And I think a lot of what times... What did Tori say, a chess match? Yes. You know, being able to kind of like, all right, what move are they going to make? What are we going to make? Like, I, I, the nerd in me comes out. Like, okay, you know, what are all the, the scenarios that are going to happen? And especially for the Diamondbacks. Because I think for the Rangers, we knew that Heaney was going to go more than an inning, give them as long as that he could. But Joe Manapol, I'm like, he'll give them one inning, and then we're going to go, like, who's coming next? Who gets the third? Who gets those pockets when Corey Seager comes up to bat? And it was disappointing when it's a five spot in the second and the third based on those decisions. Yeah, Boog, one thing that really surprised me in the second inning was how we had thought after we got news of Adolis Garcia. We actually were in the Rangers clubhouse when John Blake, their media relations person, came through and said, Garcia's not in the lineup. Jankowski's going to be batting ninth. You just right in that moment, you figure, okay, Corey Seager's not going to get anything to hit. And that's kind of 
what we had also heard from the Diamondbacks, that that seemed to be what they were looking at, and yet here he is again doing damage. Yeah, I think the there there are multiple things. Number one, that Mantiply got a a chance to face Josh Young, or I guess the better way is to say Young got a chance to face Mantiply was surprising. And then, look, I, it's no disrespect to Kyle Nelson, but it's not – you can't just put – a lefty in there and say now we're going to throw Corey Seager strikes it still is a really dangerous proposition and he showed that again um, I think that it started with the young double and then it just sort of escalated from there but I I think that look even if you're going to match up with Corey Seager and have a lefty face him you still have to be careful and contemplate, do we throw him strikes? Do we throw him a first pitch strike? And and to me, those are kind of rhetorical questions. The answer is no. So I, I, just, I just think that they're going to have to accept that if they're going to win the game in game five, there likely is going to be traffic on the bases because Corey Seager will be on base because they will walk him. Um and they're going to need to figure out a way to get out against everybody else. Okay, the greatest prediction of the postseason, Eduardo, was you walking up to Travis Jankowski before game three and basically saying you're going to have your moments. He steps into the starting lineup. He gets some hits. He had the biggest grin on his face after the game when we talked to him. Uh, tell me what was going through your mind as you're watching all that for a guy who's 32 years old. You have to believe the moment has to come, right? You prepare for just-in-case moments. And the just-in-case moment happened. It happened, and for him, it was, you know, we had this conversation in the first game here in, in Arizona yesterday, and then all of a sudden he gets thrown into the lineup because of the situation with Garcia. And, and you know, he's always been ready. I, I always remember Buck Showalter saying this is one of the best fourth outfielders I've ever managed because he's always ready. He understands the situations. He's a great base runner, great defensive guy. Is a tough out, uh, doesn't strike out much, and does all the little things right. And that's what you want. They put him in the ninth spot, and he knew what his job was. you got to get on because Marcus Simeon and then you have Corey Seager are on deck, and if he creates traffic, it creates pitches for those guys, and look what happened. I mean, Corey Seager gets the opportunity. You get five runs driven in from your leadoff hitter, something you rarely see in in the World Series. And the guys that you can't pitch to, you did because he had his moment. Jess, it was 10 nothing at one point. It winds up being 11-7. to Does that matter? Did anything happen in those last few innings that matter? Because then Tori Lavello in his post-game press conference, was trying to spin as he acknowledged very positively because that's what you're going to do if you're down three games to one. Well, yeah, not just Tori Lavello, but yeah, yeah, it matters. I mean, the fact that Jose Leclerc came into this game that was 10-0 is a huge win for the Diamondbacks. And I know the score, the thing for me that impressed me so much is that is a freaking punch in the gut. Five spot in the second, five spot in the third, you're down 10-zip, and the Diamondbacks grinding, fighting, getting at bats, and honestly, getting the closer for the Rangers in this game, knowing that if it's a close score tomorrow, that means Jose Leclerc has to throw three days consecutively, and that Gabby Moreno pocket, which is, you know, when Jose Leclerc's going to come into this game, didn't look so pretty anymore, and I think going forward, having that positivity for the Diamondbacks. 
Boog, I'm going to give you a last word. Spin ahead now to game five. Uh, how do you think the respective teams are set up for that fifth game? I think it's pretty amazing to contemplate that the Rangers had their starter go three innings in game three, and they had, you know, Heaney and then relievers ready in game four, and their bullpen's fine. I, I think Jess makes a really good point in terms of exposure specific to LeClerc, but I would say the Rangers are still in pretty good shape. I just, I, I know that I keep pounding on this, but I I hope that, um, I hope Tori Lovello is really aggressive with Ginkle and Seawald and using those guys after Gallon. So I do think that for the most part, you know, the leverage guys are, are ready to roll. So so it'll be Evaldi to leverage guys and then Gallon to leverage guys. I think we got a chance to, to set up for a game five that'll be super entertaining. Thanks, guys. See you tomorrow. <laughs> wait, wait. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> Clown car, we out. So before game four of the World Series, Book Shabby and I got a chance to talk with baseball commissioner Rob Manfred, ask him a lot of questions that I know you guys have, uh, have been asking. Give a listen. Yeah, and here with the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred, we got a lot of things to talk to in the middle of what has been a very entertaining postseason and World Series. I want to rewind for a second, though, and let's just talk about the way this season has gone and specifically about the rules changes and the pitch clock. Your take on it, how happy are you with the way the season went and specific to those things changing? Yeah, um, you know, we, we're thrilled with the way 2023 went. You know, I mean, we haven't had a, you know, it was almost 10%, I guess 9-6 is the right number, but, you know, 10% attendance increase, you know, I, I think of that as people voting with their feet. They're telling you they like the changes. Um, I, I think it's a great thing that the players adjusted in the most positive way possible we didn't have any you know awkward whatever period of adjustment they they did a fantastic job and i think maybe most important in terms of thinking about how the game's going to evolve the changes produced results that we were we predicted based on playing 8000 games in the minor leagues the most difficult thing when you try to change something in baseball is everybody gets nervous. Oh, my God, what's going to happen? And the fact that we had done enough with them that we predicted the outcome and we turned out to be right, I think makes people more inclined to change over time. And you could definitely feel the time of game in the postseason. I mean, have World yeah. Series games under three hours seems yeah. remarkable compared to what we've had in the past. Now, you wanted to shorten the games. You also wanted to increase offense. That moved a blip. It didn't move a whole bunch. What What's next on the horizon for you in that regard? Yeah, you know, Buster, I would rarely quibble with you, but it was really athleticism as much as offense. Um, you know, when we, all of this was based on fundamental research with our fans. And one of the things we found out, like the stolen base, the great defensive play, way more important to fans. That, I mean, we were educated by talking to our fans. And I do think, you know, you've seen a lot of that. The Arizona team may be a great I I example of it. Um, I, I think in terms of um, offense itself, uh, you know, you're right. The uptick was small. I do think that there is an opportunity to produce more offense a couple of different ways. I, I think re-emphasizing the role of starting pitching 
you know, pitchers going deeper, not, you know, the guys coming in one inning, max effort, nobody can hit them. I, they're great, you know, but the question is, is that the game we really want to play? I also think predictability in the strike zone, and that means ABS, it, it would also help offense. So how do you do that with the pitching, uh, restoring the preeminence of starting pitchers, which is not only, I think, important for the marketing of the sport, but, uh, uh, you know, it's the, as you mentioned, the offense. Yeah, I, I think that um, we're trying to think through the set of rules that we think would produce the outcome we're looking for in terms of pitchers going deep, deeper into games. I think, you know, the obvious one is limits on pitchers, um, in on the roster at a given time but you know there's other things that may not be quite that drastic you know the up and down of relief pitchers you know on the roster off the roster there's a lot of negative things associated with that right the fresh arms i think you know tend to enhance the idea that you know i can run somebody in i can have these bullpen games but you know it also has an effect on players careers and and their pensions and you know all those issues that matter a lot so i think that might be an area where there could be some common ground at some point as well um but we're spending a lot of time on that issue let's talk postseason um what was your feeling in terms of top seeds getting knocked out and some of the complaints in terms of the layoff time? To you, is that a problem? And is there anything about the layoff time that you would look to try and change? Look, I, I, I think I have always believed that one of the great things about our postseason is its unpredictability. I mean, you, you, you think back about the history of the game. 69 Mets, who figured they were going to win, right? I mean, that's one of the great, great things about the game. So, the and look... We have, since 1980, I can't even tell you how many formats we've played in. We went back and looked. Of all the 100-win teams, 11% of those teams have gone on to win the World Series. This is not new. Um, I, you know, I get the layoff thing. Um, I think there will be conversation about it. There may be adjustments that can make. Um, the other point that, that I do like to emphasize, you know, we're kind of in year two of this. And I do think teams are going to figure out how to deal with this layoff. Uh, one, it's actually kind of clever. You know, um, CC Sabathia was traveling with us for some of the postseason games, and we started hearing this. And um, I, I have to give CC credit for this. He said, you know, look, just give them a choice. They can have a five-day layoff or they can play a two out of three series. Every single team's going to take the layoff. So, you know, I'm not saying we shouldn't talk about it, but um, I, I also am not certain that we should run um, to be making another set of changes before we let it settle a little bit. Quick follow-up as far as reseeding. Is that something that is feasible? Is that something that catches your attention at all in terms of that the best seed constantly would get a chance to play the lowest seed. Yeah, I, I do think that's something we could talk about. I, I, there's, there's another aspect to that. I do think that the teams don't love, um, you know, I win the Eastern Division, I win 100 games, I'm 14 games up on the number two team. You, you familiar with this scenario? Yes. <laughs> Sound like anything? No doubt. And, you know, th- I, then I got to play that team in the very first round. And I think reseeding may be, um, it's complicated. Um, I'm not sure it solves all the problems, but it is something that's worth having a conversation about. In case you missed it, there is a theme here. You know, I, I do think we, you change, you make big changes. I think it's incumbent upon us to be open to adjustments rather than saying, 
you know, we went to this player, a former, there it is, and, you know, for the next 110 years, it's going to be that way. you got to think about what you see out there and, and be open to having conversation about adjustments. i got one more for you, uh, expansion. Uh, once you get the Oakland, excuse me, the athletics ballpark situation, the Rays ballpark situation settled, how quickly before you begin to address the question of expansion? I think we need to begin to have the conversation. Look, I, I you know, I, I just signed an extension. I got five more years. I'd like to have that process done. And maybe the teams aren't playing yet, but I'd like to go through the expansion process while I'm, I'm still here. I think one step that sometimes... I skip over and I shouldn't, you know, there is a yes-no on going forward with expansion, you know, particularly in an era where central revenue is becoming more and more important to the teams. You know, it's math, right? Instead of 30, you got 32, right? It's just a smaller slice of that pie um, centrally, and the owners have to buy into that. Um, and But I, I, I do, there's cities that want Major League Baseball. And, you know, I'm a simple soul. I think when cities want baseball, we ought to make an effort to give it to the fans if we can make it make sense economically. I was told there would be no math. I appreciate you saving it for the end. <laughs> it's good to visit with you. Thank you, Mr. It's Commissioner. great to see Thanks, both Robert. of you. Yeah, great to see both of you. Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NextGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NextGuard Plus chews provide one and done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, Ask about NextGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes. The clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, 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 with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. This is the Numbers Game with Sarah Langs. Sarah Langs, reporter, producer for MLB.com, who is still at the ballpark as we tape this late on Tuesday night after the uh, conclusion of Game 4. Sarah, how you doing? I'm doing great, Buster. How are you? I'm like you, still a little bit juiced from the game, even though the game is a little bit of a dud. I think, generally speaking, before we get to that, uh, I always love hearing about who you're talking to on the field because you've been on the field before all the World Series games. Matt's bringing you down there, and then uh, and you're getting a chance to chat with people. Who'd you get a chance to chat with today? 
Well, I thought both again, which is always great. Got to have a couple, you know, quick back and forth with them, which is really funny because the only time I've done this chat with him before, you know, three games in a row before was in spring training all of those years. So in a lot of ways, the World Series almost feels like spring training to me because I see Bosch every day. So slightly higher stakes, but all of the fun and happiness that comes with that. He has a chance to win his fourth World Series in 14 years, which is pretty incredible. And I texted you late in the game because I was thinking about presenting what uh, what's in front of Boach. And I asked you the question, what's his record in, uh, in these games in which he can clinch? Uh, and uh, you came back with a pretty remarkable statistic. I mean, the, the Rangers are going into game five of the three games to one lead. And the numbers show odds are in Bruce Bochy's favor based on his past performance. Absolutely. So his teams are 16 and four with a chance to clinch in any posting the rounds, of course. That includes the wildcard game where it was winner take all. But really, really incredible. And to the point of the 3-1 lead, he has never lost more than two of those games in a single series. So he would have to lose more than two in a row in order for the Diamondbacks to win this series. So that's also worth keeping in mind. All right, Sarah, let's play the numbers game. Number three. Number three is two. So speaking of why the Rangers are in this spot, Corey Seager and the entire Rangers offense has a huge uh, part to do with that. So Corey Seager homeward in his second consecutive game this World Series, and he is now the second shortstop to homer in consecutive World Series games, joining Derek Teeter, who homered in games four and five, in the 2000 World Series, and he is the first shortstop to have three home runs in a single World Series. And I love this part too. This is now the eighth straight World Series where we've had at least one player hit home runs in back-to-back games. Last time it didn't happen was 2015, excuse me. But if you go back to 2010, this did not happen in 2010, 2012, or 2014. So all of those most World Series years did not feature either his team having a guy hit a home run in back-to-back World Series games or his opponent doing that. Number two. Number two is four. For the four hits you have to get to hit for the cycle. So I think I just sounds on here pretty well that I'm not a fan of cycles. In general, I think they're kind of contrived. You'd rather have something else. I will make an exception for a team <laughs> hitting for a cycle in a World Series innings. The Rangers did that in the second inning tonight. It was the tenth time the team did that in a World Series inning. And the last time it happened was Game 5 of the 1991 World Series when the Braves did twice in that game. In the eighth inning and the fourth inning. So I'll tell you this, Sarah, that uh, question that I texted you about that, that question about, a, you know, a hitting for the cycle in an inning like that, that was contrived by Eduardo Perez, who was trying to ram it down Boog Shambi's throat because Boog Shambi is the no. absolute, 
He's the the most anti-cycle person on the planet Earth. Like he does not like the cycle. He doesn't think it's a big deal. And Eduardo asked me to ask you specifically that for that information so that he could just tease Boog about the cycle. Hey, and I'm on Boog's side with the cycles. In fact, I would say Maybe Boog. to you too, Sarah. <laughs> but I enjoyed this one because it's cool. It's only happened 10 times. Part of my issue with overall cycles is, you know, they happen pretty frequently. This doesn't happen all that frequently. Number one. Number one is 10. So those uh, 10 runs of the Rangers scored the first innings of the game all came with two outs. That was the second most runs with two outs in any World Series game. The only team to score more was the Red Sox in 2007. In game one, they had 11 runs with two outs. When the Rangers didn't just have 10 runs with two outs, they did in the first three innings. They did with back-to-back endings where they have five runs with two out east. Just an incredible beginning to that game. All right. I got two follow-up questions for you. One, uh, if the Rangers win the World Series, no matter what happens going forward, you agree with me that Corey Seager is going to be the MVP? Absolutely. I mean, I was already looking up the list of guys to win two World Series MVPs, and they're all kind of one-name guys. Kofax, Gibson, and Reggie. So he would join that list, and he would have three postseason MVPs because he also won an LCS MVP back in 2020. The only guys with three postseason MVPs are Royal Hershiser and Dave Stewart. So I have that already typed up, ready to go, because I'm expecting him to win those at some point if the Rangers win. All right, and the last one is probably more of a rhetorical question. Why in the world would you not only pitch to Corey Seager, as the Diamondbacks did in this game last night, with Simeon on third, second base open, first base open, not only did they pitch to him, but time and again, Sarah, he keeps on doing damage on first pitches. And you'd think that the in the Diamondbacks meeting, they would say, no matter what else happens, roll the ball up there on the first pitch. Bounce it in the dirt. Do not give him a chance to swing at the first pitch. It's making my, it's kind of making me crazy watching it, Sarah. Yeah, you know, I really don't know that first pitch thing is not a fluke or a new thing for him either. I mean, that has been something with him really his entire career. And certainly these last few years, as he's been this all-star caliber player, whenever you watch him, he's liable to do something on the first pitch. And as for pitching, I mean, I sat here 24 hours ago and said, you know, I didn't expect him to see another pitch hit. So I do wonder if it's different tomorrow after today. But it is surprising that he even got that chance today. Yeah, there has to be like a kangaroo court thing, Sarah, <laughs> so passes by. Uh, there has to be like a kangaroo court thing in the Arizona clubhouse tomorrow saying, if you pitch to Seager, you owe $500 a kangaroo court or something like that. Because it makes no sense. The guy has the highest rate of any player in baseball. It's swinging at the first pitch. It's been mind-boggling. Sarah, thanks for doing this, and I'll see you at the ballpark tomorrow. Thanks so much for having me, Russell. Before game four, Boog caught up with Corbin Carroll. And here with Diamondbacks outfielder Corbin Carroll. And uh, 
what a season for you. We'll talk about this World Series, but, you know, standard stuff for a 23-year-old. Start in the All-Star game, in the World Series. What's this whole year been like for you? It's been amazing. Um, you know, super grateful for those moments, right? Like, there have been a lot of um, extreme highs, I guess you would say. Um, but, you know, there's also been some tough moments, right? Losing nine in a row, um, team not playing well, personally not playing well. So I think that you can't get lost in either end of that, you know. Um, just take it in as a whole and try to improve on it for next year. There's a great story in terms of your shoulder injury and the amount of time that you spent with an advanced scout watching games behind home plate. Can you take me through that and tell me some of the stuff that you learned during that season? For sure. So I watched our 2021 110 loss season. Um, so, I mean, honestly, I like, I, I watched some losing baseball, right? Like um, th- there was just, so I saw that piece of it. And then I also saw, you know, the, the good teams roll into town, um, you know, some of the better teams in the league that year and just tried to look at some of the differences. Right. Um, and it could have been play on the field strategy, um, you know, Gardy, uh, the, the guy I would sit with, Jeff Gardner, um, you know, he'd be good at pointing that stuff out. But it was also like little stuff like um, being there every night, seeing body language. Right. And then seeing how that carried over for, you know, the next two weeks after that. And then seeing that same guy, you know, maybe a month later and completely different body language, you know, feel like looks like he feels like he's the best hitter in the world. So just just little stuff like that, I thought um, was super um, insightful. And I tried to take a lot of that into um, 2022. You put together a season this year that was sensational, not just for a rookie, but for anyone. We're talking about a guy that had prior, you know, like you have maybe less than 700 minor league plate appearances. So how have you been able to have this much success at this level with so little experience at the minor league level? Yeah, you know, I think um, I think that there's a, a baseline of talent that, um, you know, has allowed me to do that. But it, it's also been a lot of hard work. Um, you know, you point out the, the limited minor league um, experience, you know, at the, yes, last year was the most games that or 2022, yeah, was the last most minor league games I ever played, and I played 92. Um, you know, I'd probably played 50 before that, um, and so especially quality left-handed pitching, I hadn't really um, had an opportunity to face that. And so, getting up last year, um, I wouldn't start versus lefties, but I'd face some lefty relievers. No, I wanted to make that a focus, and I think that's a you know a big reason that I was able to have the year that I had this year um, was being able to hold my own versus lefties um, eventually worked myself to a spot where you know I, I could hit at the top of the order versus lefties and um, you know not having to get pit, pinch hit for just knowing I was going to be in the lineup every day um, stuff like that helped give me some confidence give me your version of this story I'm not sure when it took place but Tori Lovello told us you just kind of triggered the story but he asked you in a one-on-one meeting what are some of the things you'd like to accomplish? And he said you broke out a notebook and kind of turned a page. And you're like, you know, I'm glad you asked. Here are some of the things. One was getting a chance to play against lefties as well. But what's your version of that conversation? Yeah, you know, it was our end-of-the-year meeting um, with, with the coaches. You know, constructive on, on both ends, right? We bring stuff to the table. They bring stuff to the table. But, um, you know, I'd already done some reflection and, um, you know, just – Want to be wanted to be prepared. We'd had the questions beforehand and wanted to make sure that you know I had my answer flushed out. Yeah, and um, you know, 
was was able to have a, a productive you know meeting from that uh two more just bear with me um one would be if you were to explain to people who have never participated in the postseason the world series how it's different how's it different yeah um you know, I'd say in some ways it actually surprised me how normal it felt in terms of it's just baseball. You know, sitting on the couch watching in the past, I felt like I got more butterflies and more like that feeling in my stomach than actually playing in it, which, you know, that, that surprised me a little bit. Um, but I, I would say the way that it's different is just the – I think you have to do a better job of managing the emotions of it. Um, there's a little bit more of, of a gravity to every situation. Um, and whatever happens, bad or good, um, it's, a, it's a little harder to flush. And so I think just having the, the, the systems that I have in place um, have helped me do that to this point um, and, you know, hope to continue doing that. Last thing – we don't know each other. Um, I have something on a light moment, um, and I need you to respond directly and honestly to me. I said on the air last night, as you went down to first, I had you in the wild card series against the Brewers, and as well in the series, uh, the LCS against the Phillies. I think you need to get a helmet that fits better. I agree. I don't know what's <laughs> happened. You know, I've gone through a few helmets this year. Um, but this one seems to fall off a little too often now. You know, may, maybe I'm just running a little harder at the end, right? Like a little extra effort or something like that. You're but, just so fast. Yeah, this one won't, this one won't stay on. Um, but, yeah, I, I agree with you there. Thanks so much for the time. Good luck tonight. Yeah, thank you. Bleacher Tweets. All righty, Buster. Bleacher Tweets for a Wednesday. Debbie Gammons Brown, DGB writes, and we need more clown car, Buster. Is there any more in our future here? Uh, yes, we just had a second one, Debbie. And we're going to have another one after Game 5 of the World Series. We'll see if uh, one of us is just splashed and smelling up the, the, the car with champagne. <laughs> All right. Um, Zach Beeson writes, and please explain Bruce Bochy's decision to bring out LeClerc with two outs in the ninth with a six-run lead like I'm five years old. Uh, well, I'll tell you this. And, I, you know, when I covered the Yankees, I think Joe Torre has a very similar perspective to managing in the postseason that Bruce Bochy does, which is you do everything you can to secure today. Mm-hmm. You make sure you secured today. I mean, I saw, you know, Joe would bring in Ariana Rivera when they had a four run lead because his feeling was like, you know what? Stuff happens. I want to lock down this game. I, I totally get it. I think, uh, you know, it's because they do that. It, you know, imagine if he had not brought LeClerc in and he had just left Will Smith in the game and they had gotten a couple more hits and all of a sudden they get close to coming back. Then what would, what would we say? That's why I think Boach, just as Joe Torre did, absolutely goes for the jugular when he sees it. Yeah, secure the win. Then you got three chances to win a World Series. I feel like it's yep. kind of a no-brainer. Yep. Um, Senior Betley writes in, if the Rangers end up winning the series and Will Smith gets his third ring in three years, will he even want it? He was pulled tonight in his only World Series appearance. Last year, he didn't he didn't even throw a pitch in the World Series. What do you think? Uh, I think he absolutely <laughs> want it. I absolutely want it. My yeah. gosh. I was actually thinking about that, that, uh, you know, we talk about player salaries. We're talking about that card game that uh, I saw yesterday, the spades game with all mm-hmm. these guys who are making a ton of money. Will Smith has probably made what close to, you know, 
So I think between a million and a million and a half dollars, potentially, if the Rangers win the World Series this year, just in World Series shares alone, that's pretty impressive. Hell yeah. There you go, Will. Uh, Spence, Texas baseball fan, writes in, very disappointed that the clown car discussion about Game three's balls and strikes did not include the fact that earlier in the same at-bat, a strike it was pitched to was called a ball. My take is that robo-ums cannot get here soon enough. Yeah, I don't know. As we speak here you know, late on uh, Tuesday evening, uh, Sarah Taylor, I don't know if you heard the interview that we did with Rob Manfred. It is the closest that I've ever heard him come to basically saying we're ready to go with uh, some sort of an ABS challenge system. You know, I talked to a couple of people later after I spoke with Rob today. Uh, I don't think it's going to happen in 2024, but I think it's right around the corner. I think you got one more season without the robo uh, without uh, the technology working on behalf of umpires, but this is it. I think the following season we're going to have a challenge system that would have addressed moments like we saw the other night with Gabby Moreno. Very cool. Let's go to PK Steinberg to close this out. He's got two questions. He writes in first, okay. uh, I firmly believe that players should be fined for throwing their helmets. What do you think? And they are, I think, uh, in a lot of cases, when they're upset about the you know strike three call, if they toss their equipment, um, you'll see umpires point at them and then pull out a card and write it down. They are fined in some cases. And then he asks bull or says bullpen games are bad enough during the regular season, but in the World Series, can someone figure out how much worse exponentially this is for the aesthetics and watchability of the game? P.S. Scripts are terrible for the game. P.K. A little and, salty. And you heard uh, if you know you're we're doing this the Bleacher tweets after the Rob Manfred interview, he was pretty much signaling that we're, they're going to make some adjustments with starting pitching, which is, you know, come forward. How long is, have we been talking about that, Taylor, about coming <laughs> up with some rules? That one, and, and also another thing Rob said, Rob said, uh, you'll if, you know, you, you listen to the interview, he said that CC Sabathia gave him a great idea on the trip out to the World Series. He said that, you know, what they should do is let the top seeds pick whether or not they have the buy. And he was given all the credit to CeCe Sabathia for that, Taylor. What do you think? Has CeCe been listening to the podcast? Or? Apparently so. We pounded on that the oh. first two weeks of the playoffs. And you've and that's not the first time you've mentioned that on the show. You've no, been, in the past, too. Yeah, yeah. But Rob endorsed it. Rob loves it. So I think maybe that's what we'll see in the future. All right. Keep talking about it, Buster. Let's speak it into fruition. We love when that happens. We apparently have. Yeah. All yeah. right. Uh, that's it for today. My thanks to Boog, to Jess, Eduardo, all those in the clown car. Rob Kelly was the driver. Uh, Sarah Langs and Sarah and Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day. Dogs are an important part of our lives. That means protecting them from parasites. Ask your vet about NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner. Moxidectin and pyrantal chewable tablets. NextGuard Plus Chews provides one and done monthly protection against fleas, ticks, heartworm disease, roundworms, and hookworms. Plus, they're delicious and easy to give. Use with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting a preventive. Ask about NextGuard Plus Chews.